Um, if you would, I'm going to give you two, two passages we're going to be reading from. Our text is going to come from Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 25. But if you would, go ahead and bookmark uh, Genesis 12, because we're going to be jumping back to Genesis um, after we read our text. Um, so when I was uh, learning how to preach, as I was going through these classes at Glen Meadows, learning how to preach, you know, I, I grew up and kind of my idea of preaching was, was kind of a topical preaching. Um, and one of the things that Pastor Mac taught me is that the best kind of preaching is exegetical preaching. You go through a book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and that means you always know what you're going to talk about. You don't skip over texts because they're difficult. You just preach what the Bible says. And so that leads us to... Uh, some texts like this one, uh, Romans 2, 25 through the end of the chapter. It says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, uh, even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man, who is not a, Jew, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we just thank you for allowing us to get together again. Lord, we thank you for another year. Lord, we thank you for our life. We thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for, our, uh, for your word, Lord. We just pray that as we dive into it, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal more of who you are to us, Lord, that as we learn about you, it would draw us closer to you, Lord, that we would become a reflection of who you are, um, and that as we study your word, Lord, that we would, we would give up those things that we cling to, Lord, and that we would cling to you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I read this text a couple of weeks ago, and I went, oh circumcision. All right. This is going to be interesting. So uh, I brought some charts. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so the text here is written to, um, as, a, as a further indictment, you know, Romans starts off and Paul is just systematically dismantling any sort of self-righteousness or excuses. And so this is a further indictment of Jewish Christians thinking that they have some kind of a leg up on the Gentile Christians. Um, the Judaizers telling these Christians that they need to become Jews first and observe these laws. Paul's dismantling all of that. And so um, while this passage is uh, direct meaning isn't really applicable to us as we're all non-Jewish Christians, um, I really wanted to stop and search for some application. And so that's why we're going to jump back to Genesis. And let's take a look, uh, starting in Genesis 12, about what circumcision is. So um, circumcision is introduced to us in Genesis 17, but we're going to backtrack a little ways um, to find out who is Abraham. And I know Abraham in Genesis 12 is, is still called Abram, but for the sake of uh, consistency, I'm just going to call him Abraham the whole time. Okay, So um, Abraham is first introduced to us technically in Genesis chapter 11, but that's just the genealogy that leads up to Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12 is where we actually see Abraham's story uh, begin. And um, he's known as Abram, 
uh, Genesis 12, starting in verse 2, we get the first promise that is made to Abram. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12, 2, 2 and 3. Okay, So God chooses Abraham and makes a promise here, um, which there's going to be a future point we're going to get to later in Romans. I'm not going to expound on it right now, uh, against a works-based salvation right here. So Abraham at this point is completely unknown to us. He's done nothing. We know nothing about him. He hasn't earned this favor from God. God selected him. Okay, So... Um, Faith-based salvation. We're going to get to that in Romans chapter 4. So God makes this promise, and he calls Abraham away from the, the land that he's in, and Abraham obeys, and we see that God blesses his obedience and his faith. And so um, uh, the covenant between Abraham and God, really honestly, it begins right here in 12, where God makes this promise to Abraham. Um, but as we keep going forward, uh, we see that the covenant officially begins in Genesis chapter 15, uh, where God says, uh, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so then God makes this promise to Abraham about how he's going to make him the father of many nations. And you remember that at this point in time, Abram's very advanced in age. And he has no heirs. And so God's basically telling Abraham, I'm going to do in you something that's impossible. And so Abraham does not believe him. And he asks God for a sign. And so uh, you see this sacrifice that goes on in um, 15, starting in verse 9, where God gives him a sign saying, I promise this is what I'm going to do for you. And Abraham um, accepts it and believes and again, it's credited to him as righteousness. And then we see um, right in chapter 16, the next chapter, that Abraham does what most of us do, and he screws it up. <laughs> God says, I'm going to do this for you. And Sarah and Abraham get together, and they say, obviously God doesn't know what he's doing. We need to help him out here, which I don't know about you guys, but I do that quite frequently uh, in my uh, arrogance. Uh, and uh, they decide that obviously God didn't mean that he was going to give us an heir through Sarah because there's no way I'm having a baby. It's not, not happening. And so she gives Hagar to um, Abraham as his wife, and he sleeps with her, and they have Ishmael, and that causes all sorts of problems. Uh, uh, Hagar and, and uh, Sarah don't get along. Sarah starts beating her. Hagar runs away. An angel comes to Hagar and says, you need to go back, um, and I'm going to bless this child. And so all that happens. And you'd think that at this point that God's going to say, well, you know, flick Abraham on the head and tell him to get his act together. But he actually doesn't. God comes back, and in verse 17, he renews his covenant with Abraham. And uh, he says, starting in verse 1, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham fell, fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, 
Your new name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And so God has promised him these things. And circumcision is what we see as the sign of the covenant. Circumcision becomes this thing that is Abraham's response that he is committed to this covenant because God asks of him, um, walk before me and be blameless. Okay? And so that begs the question, okay, if circumcision is the sign of a covenant or of this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, what is a covenant? Okay? So covenant is an agreement. Uh, there are two types of covenants that we see in Scripture. There are vertical covenants, which is a covenant between God and man, which is what we see here, um, or between God and mankind. doesn't necessarily have to be specifically one man. And there are horizontal covenants, which is covenants between two people. Marriage is a horizontal covenant. The friendship between Jonathan and David is a horizontal covenant. Um, now, as Christians, we believe that a covenant is between two people before God. And so, um, for example, marriage, for better or for worse, we do not believe that it is acceptable to walk out on a marriage because your partner is not upholding their end of the agreement because we believe that the agreement is not just between you and them, but also between you and God. And so um, there are conditions, however, in most covenants, there are conditions. For example, in marriage, if your spouse commits adultery, you are freed from your commitment to God and you are free to leave. So there are conditions in most covenants, but it's not like a legal contract in the sense that you do this and if you do this, I do this. It, it is an unconditional, uh, there are elements of a covenant that are unconditional, Okay. And so um, what do we see from the vertical covenants in Scripture? Um, very, very, very evident here. God is always faithful to his covenants. So we go all the way back to Genesis 12 where we started, and we see that God makes this promise to Abraham. Uh, this, is, this is beautiful. He makes this promise uh, in Genesis 12 that all people will be blessed through Abraham. Then Abraham immediately... Because, you know, we talk about Abraham as this, this um, uh, stalwart in Christian history. Um, but Abraham was, honestly, he was no saint. Immediately following this promise that's been given to him, he goes to Egypt and uh, is worried that he's going to be killed in Egypt because of Sarah. And so he lies about Sarah being his wife. And so God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then going into Egypt, he's like, well, I might die, forgetting if I die, I can't exactly be the father of many nations. So once again, God needs my help, so I'm going to lie. And God, rather than condemning him for this sin, he uses this sin to fulfill his own promises. Because it's while he's in Egypt and Abraham lies that uh, uh, Abraham is blessed with all of this massive wealth. Um, he's given a, a tremendous amount. Um, we see that in uh, 12, in... Uh, verse 16, he treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. And so um, God uses this disobedience from Abraham 
to bless Abraham and fulfill his purposes. And we see this all throughout Scripture. If you go into the Exodus, you see that uh, Pharaoh's disobedience and uh, uh, ignoring of God's uh, plagues, God uses for his own purposes. And so when we think that we're going to shake our fist at God and tell him, you know, what's going to happen, uh, it's, it's the epitome of arrogance uh, because God uses... Uh, all circumstances. Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And so um, so after that, they leave, and you get a picture of just how wealthy Abraham has become in Genesis 13. In fact, there's so much wealth, so many cattle, so much livestock, so many people that the land, it says the land cannot support them while they stayed together. So Abraham and Lot go separate ways. You get a picture into Abraham's heart, though. This is going to become really important when we get back to Romans here. You get a picture of Abraham's heart. Right here, he tells Lot, you pick where you want to go, and I'll take what's left. So you see a picture of the selflessness of Lot. I'm sorry, of Abraham. And so after they part ways in thirteen, uh, ch- chapter 13, starting in verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring. So you've got, got, you know, uh, God promises. Abraham's unfaithful. God sticks to his promise. Abraham and Lot's people are fighting, bickering, not really living out who they're supposed to be. And God once again comes in and he reaffirms, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. And so then we see Lot gets into trouble. He's kidnapped um, or, or taken captive, rather. Um, and Abram comes to the rescue because of the things that he's been given um, in Egypt. You see here in verse uh, chapter 14, um, verse, I believe, 13, uh, verse 14, rather. Chapter 14, verse 14 that Abram called out the 318 trained men born in his household. You understand how massive Abraham's household has to be if he's got 318 trained fighters that can go to war at a moment's notice? So he goes out and he rescues Lot, and then again we have God reaffirming his covenant with Abram in chapter 15. So all throughout here, we see that God remains faithful to us and to his promises, irrespective of what we do, okay? He is faithful, um, and so I think that's a big reason why whenever we make covenants horizontally, we choose to remain faithful, irrespective of what the other partner does, because we've been called to be imitators of Christ, okay? And so, let's take some looks, uh, a look at some of the specifics of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, I've already talked about Genesis 12, 2, all people on earth will be blessed, That's one thing that God promises. Uh, Genesis 17, verses 4 through 8. He says he's going to make Abraham the father of many nations. He's going to make Abraham fruitful and give him an heir. And I'm going to give him this land. So those are some of the promises. And in response, Abraham Abraham will walk before me and be blameless. And so circumcision is the sign of the promise that Abraham is going to fulfill it. Okay? So if circumcision is that sign... Um, it, it's the sign that uh, Israel, beyond just Abraham, it's the sign that Israel is going to remain faithful to this covenant. And I liken it to 
circumcision to uh, a wedding ring. Think about it in these terms, okay? Um, I wear my wedding ring. It's a symbol that I am in a covenant with my wife before God. But if I run around and I commit adultery on my wife and I wear my wedding ring, is the wedding ring meaningful at all? And that's essentially what Paul, if we jump back into Romans, it's essentially what Paul is telling these Jewish Christians that are getting so caught up in circumcision and the law. He's saying, you're running around and you're wearing circumcision as if it's this badge of honor, but you're breaking the laws. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. You've become the adulterer running around boasting about the fact that you're wearing your wedding ring. It's meaningless. Okay, And so everything comes full circle whenever we look at it and we realize what circumcision is. Going back to uh, Romans chapter 2, the key point in this passage begins in verse 28. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. Uh, that, man's, uh, pr- that man's praise is not from man, but from God. And so what we see through these covenants is a principle that was evident all the way back in Genesis and this promise to Abraham. And Jesus said it, what are the two great commands? Love God, love people. We see this in the horizontal, or in, in this vertical covenant with Abraham. God tells Abraham, you are to walk blameless, blamelessly, I can't get that word out, blamelessly with me. And through you, I will bless all nations. So Abraham is to be a blessing to people, love people. And he's to walk with God, love God. And so we see this continuity from start to finish. In, who, in, in the character of who God is. Love God, love people. Genesis to Revelation, one story. We get caught up, or when, we get, when we make things that are not the most important thing, the most important thing like the Jewish Christians have done here with this, uh, tech, with this um, sign of circumcision, we, we get all out of whack. We have to remember the character of God. Okay, Love God, love people. And so Jewish Christians were not living that out. They were more concerned with the outward expression of their faith than they were with the inward expression of their faith. How often do we do that? How often do we like, I mean, take baptism, for example. Is your, does your baptism really mean much if you run around and, and you berate and, you, and you, you disobey the commandments, you disobey God, you are um, uh, just... just hateful towards people and, and you, you completely live a life that is contrary to the character of Christ. Does your baptism really mean anything? Was there really a heart change here? So it's a good lesson to us when we look at it and we say, I've got to stay focused on what's important. God wants our hearts. Um, Abraham trusted but not perfectly. We see that throughout there. He constantly messes up. And so we get this idea of this works-based salvation that I've got to be perfect. Well, when we look all throughout Scripture, we see that's not what God wants from us. He expects us to surrender our hearts to Him. 
And out of that love, out of the abundance of our love for him and our thankfulness for for him, that's where obedience dwells from. When we get those things mixed up, we give God our heart, or we give God our obedience, but not our hearts. Does that make sense? Okay, and so um, we see that Abraham loved. Like I told you guys, it's going to be uh, very, very important. Um, you see the, the, the heart of, of Abraham uh, whenever the, the uh, disagreements came up between Lot and Abraham. He gave Lot the first choice. When Lot was in Sodom, Abraham didn't just pray for Lot's rescue. Abraham prayed for the rescue of the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so you see the heart. What do we as Christians, how do we live this out? How do we follow this message of uh, giving, surrendering to God our hearts? Do we pray for those people that uh, we may not necessarily even like? Do we put things above uh, God's, God's character? Do we, do we put emphasis on the wrong things? And I would say that this text to the, uh, to the Jewish Christians becomes very applicable when we look through it that, through, through it that lens or through it with that lens. My tongue is tied this morning. I can't get things to come out right. So um, becomes very applicable. Um, and so I would challenge us to really spend some time thinking about that. How do I give God my heart and then give God my obedience instead of the other way around.